Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and as we've done for the last several years in September, we have a member of the Us Two Prostate Cancer Support Group here, Mr. Gary Kim. He is not just a facilitator for that group, but he is also a prostate cancer survivor, and he's going to share with us his story, what his journey has been through the diagnosis and treatment of prostate cancer And then we'll talk about some of the latest things that have changed and the newly available tests and different types of treatments that are actually right here in the island. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. I think the last time was about three years ago. These days, everything is before the pandemic or after. (laughs) So pre-pandemic, we had a discussion. Okay. Now, unfortunately, you were diagnosed with prostate cancer maybe about 10, 11 years ago. 2011, yeah. What was that journey like? How did you first get diagnosed? And did you have any symptoms or any reason why this happened or just on a regular physical? Uh, I was fortunate in in that my regular primary care physician uh, believed in regular PSA screening, prostate-specific antigen uh, it's a screening mechanism uh, via blood test that will be an indicator of whether uh, prostate cancer exists or not. And in many cases, there is no symptoms, uh, such as bleeding or abdominal pain. Uh, so uh, much like breast cancer, uh, if you catch it early enough, then uh, that's that's a better uh, uh, situation for treatment purposes. So uh, I had a PSA of uh, prostate-specific antigen of 18, and uh, that's significantly high enough where it warranted a a biopsy to be done. I had a biopsy done, and, uh, and lo and behold, I did have one lesion within my prostate gland. Um, I had a little bit of a hiccup in that... Um, the uh, biopsy uh, will indicate a what is called a Gleason score. Gleason score is a numbering system that indicates the aggressiveness of the cancer. Uh, in my case, it was it was graded out as a Gleason six originally, uh, but I had two subsequent opinions on the same tissue sample, and so that that made it a little bit unique for me because those. Uh, other opinions came out as a Gleason 7, 3 plus 4, and a Gleason 7, uh, 4 plus 3. And so I I really didn't know how serious my cancer was. And I subsequently went to uh, L.A. Uh, to, to have a, a specific type of imaging done to see if there were any other lesions within the gland. Uh, fortunately, there wasn't any. And uh, I subsequently went to uh, MD Anderson uh, in Houston, a major cancer center, to have what is called a proton beam radiation therapy. Uh, went there for eight weeks, got treated. Uh, at the same time, I did something that was a little bit unconventional in that I put myself on, on what is called hormone therapy, which is basically depriving the cancer of testosterone. And so... Uh, I did that at a time when uh, not too many doctors were were recommending or even considering that. Uh, The whole idea of doing that was to 
hopefully uh, kill any cancer cell, microscopic cancer cells that were left behind uh, that survived the radiation. So, and uh, that's so that was my journey. Um, Why did you do that? I'm curious because you mentioned that not everybody at the time was doing that. And yet nowadays, I think it's almost become standard of care. But prior to having that even take place, you sort of decided on your own, this is something I want to do. And what made you decide, hey, I'm going to do what we call this anti-androgen therapy or this this blocking of testosterone? What what convinced you to do that? Um, for one thing, uh, my PSA was 18, uh, which was significantly higher than the threshold of about 4. Uh, anything about 4 to 10 is considered low-grade prostate cancer. From 10 to 20 PSA, it's considered intermediate-grade. Um, I I chose to do what is called that is called adjuvant therapy, which means it's it's a, a treatment option that's after your primary treatment. In which in my case, the primary treatment was radiation, and so, but you need to understand that that radiation is only focused on the prostate gland. Uh, if there were microscopic cells that had already left the gland and are in your system. That was what the uh, additional uh, homotherapy was, was, was intended to do, is to try and kill any microscopic cells or very small lesions uh, that still existed that survived the radiation. So that so that's why you did it, is because you said, okay, I'm getting this targeted radiation, right. and I don't know if this is spread, and mm-hmm. so I want to take care of all these alternatives. Now, what did your doctor say when you said, I want to do this additional treatment? Were they for it? Um, like I said, back in 2012, um, this was not uh, something that most doctors would. In fact, uh, I talked to three doctors at MD Anderson, all um, oncologists or urologists. Uh, and my question to them was, well, if I go on androgen deprivation therapy, homotherapy, how long should I stay on it? You know, it, Should I stay on it six months, a year, or two years? I got three different answers from a three doctors, and this shows you why uh, it was not really uh, uh, looked at in terms of a of a standard therapy. Uh, so one doctor told me six months, another doctor told me one year, and the, and the other one told me uh, uh, two years. and 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 a lot of this was wasn't really known back then, and so uh, there wasn't a lot of history or a lot of men that were doing this. And so it, it was more or less, uh, if you looked at factors on, on why someone would do that, uh, PSA would be one, the Gleason score would be one, the location of the lesions would be one. And all of this goes back to what we preach in our support group is that uh, for men to be their own advocate, do what you think is best for yourself, okay? Uh, and so in order to do that, though, uh, they need to be... Uh, more informed, uh, be aware of what's what's available, uh, be aware of uh, what treatments are best for you in terms of not only getting rid of the cancer, uh, but also hopefully to keep the cancer from coming back, and then balancing that off with uh, quality of life issues because there are going to be side effects with various treatment options. Now, you mentioned that you wanted men to be their own advocates. So, when you were starting this cancer journey, you know, 10 years ago, 
Where did you get a lot of your information? Did you, you, you mentioned that you went to MD Anderson, that you spoke to three different doctors. So how were you successful in being your own advocate? Um, that's, that's part of that is me, uh, <laughs> my background and training. Uh, I, I was an auditor by nature. Uh, auditors tend to uh, look at the facts, dig into the, the background. Um, I did join the support group, and I did get help from uh, other members uh, in talking to them and see how they did. In fact, I learned about uh, proton beam therapy through the support group, uh, and it was a therapy that if you talk to other radiation oncologists on the island, uh, no one recommended proton beam at all here in Hawaii, one reason being that it was not available here. And so... Uh, and then, uh, you know, so a lot of these things is, is, you know, like I said, being your own advocate. I did a lot of research. Uh, I talked to a lot of men, talked to different doctors. I ended up getting, I think, seven consults with different doctors uh, between urologists and radiation oncologists. And so uh, it was a matter of learning as much as you can. Each, to me, each man's cancer is unique and different. Uh, it's unique and different in terms of the uh, genetic mutations which cause the cancer to begin with. Uh, most people don't understand what heterogeneity of cancer meaning in terms of mutational burden, uh, how many lesions you have, uh, what the Gleason scores of each lesion are in terms of aggressiveness, uh, PSA, uh, a lot of factors in here that make each man's cancer unique. And the other thing is how 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 a person's quality of life, how they look at their own quality of life. For some men, preservation of sexual function is a high priority. For other men, maybe in their late 70s or early 80s, it's no longer a priority. And so those, those things can affect decision-making as you go forward. This is when you factor all of those things in is why we say you, you need to be your own advocate. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Mr. Gary Kim. He is a prostate cancer survivor and a facilitator of the US2 Prostate Cancer Support Group. We're going to talk more about that group in just a few moments. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we have a prostate cancer survivor, Mr. Gary Kim, who is here in the studio, and we're talking about prostate cancer because September is Awareness Month, and there's certainly been a lot of controversy in the last couple of years of who should be tested and have PSA testing done, and should we continue to do this testing broad for all men of any age, or should we target certain ages? There's a lot of I would say a little bit of controversy, maybe a lot, depending on the individual. And so currently, PSA testing is done as part of a shared decision-making with your doctor. So you want to make sure that you have a discussion with them about what your goals are, what your intent is, what your family history is. You mentioned a couple of interesting terms there, Mr. Gary, and you mentioned heterogeneity of cancer, mutational burdens. And these are clearly terms that you know I hear discussed among oncologists, and yet you kind of did enough research to figure out what these terms mean and why it's important. One of the things you advocate for in the US2 Prostate Cancer Support Group is really to have men share collectively the knowledge and the wisdom that they have determined 
but it's not really meant for you to tell you know, Mr. Bob over there, whether or not he should do certain treatments, it sounds like it's much more to be a resource for one another. And is that how the support group runs? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're not here to tell men what to do uh, because, uh, for one thing, there are many treatment options and combination of treatment options, for one. And two, each man's uh, perception of their quality of life issues will, will vary. Uh, if he's if he's in his early 60s, uh, his perception on quality of life issues with regard to side effects of treatment options will differ from a guy that's maybe in his late 80s and, and just got diagnosed. So uh, many things. Uh, one of the things that uh, also come into play is because of the uh, United States Preventative Task Force decision on PSA screening, uh, a couple things have happened in the last uh, so many years. Uh, one, we be, at one point back in 2012, they actually abandoned uh, PSA screening, and uh, they they only brought it back. I I, would, I, I can't remember the exact date. Uh, so now there is that shared thing with the doctor to do PSA screening. But I think as a result of that early decision, more and more men are being diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer where the cancer has already escaped the gland, which makes the treatment options that much more difficult. It brings into play these much more complicated uh, treatments like uh, chemotherapy and uh, things like that. Um, and, and then the pandemic came. And so that through... There's that. Then, that affected screening as well, in my opinion. Uh, because if men w- were not being timely screened, uh, the cancer w- w- was then allowed to to progress and so those things. So yeah, the support group is here. One of the things I would like to clarify is that uh, you know there is that misconception that support groups are there. That that word support is like we're only there for emotional support or mo- morale uh, support. But really, I think our most important mission is to help educate men, uh, not only educate them in terms of of what treatment options are available out there, but also uh, the process that you have to go through, uh, where can you get this, uh, the side effects of treatment options. Those are some of the things that are discussed in the in the support group meetings. Well, where would people find out more information about these meetings? Because it really sounds like, you know, people's perceptions of support group may not, that there are certainly some things where I'm certain you guys support one another uh, for the whole process. But I also think that there may be some educational aspects that a lot of folks might be intrigued and interested in. If somebody said, I want to go, they don't have to have prostate cancer to go. They could just want to get information. Mm -hmm. But how would they find out more about it? Uh, We have a website. Uh, It's... Uh, Hawaii, www.hawaiiprostatecancer.org. And at that website, uh, you can we have the information there on how to join as a member, uh, how to contact uh, either Paul or myself uh, if, if they want. You don't have to join the support group. We do have a few men uh, that don't feel comfortable in a support group setting. Uh, and so I, I myself have mentored men outside the support group uh, because of that's that's their uh, feeling on it. And so, um, yeah. And surprisingly, oh, I shouldn't say it, not too surprisingly, uh, we have a lot of uh, wives and uh, female partners that uh, 
in some cases take the lead on 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 uh, you know and have questions more questions than than the men do. Well, and you know it's nice to hear that this is something because if you get a diagnosis like this, it also affects anyone in your life. And the idea that that's acknowledged and that these other individuals are welcomed to join and be part of it really helps to enrich the idea that this is kind of a team effort. You know, you want to make sure that everybody involved has an opportunity to weigh in and to hear some of the differing information perspectives on, you know, you mentioned side effects of treatment that may affect more than just one person that may affect their whole entire family and what to be aware of and to know about. Now, do you recall any particular individuals? You've been doing this support group now for, I mean, you were in it previously, so maybe you've been there for about a decade. Uh, I I joined the support group back in 2011, and I became a facilitator in 2013, so about Almost nine. a decade, yeah. yeah okay. About nine years now, yeah. How many men do you think you've interacted with over the years as part of the support group? Um. You know, one of the things uh, I myself have interacted with with quite a number of men, but uh, one of the things I I, I do want to uh, say uh, on air is that you know approximately uh, nine hundred men get diagnosed with prostate cancer each year in Hawaii, and about a hundred men die of prostate cancer each year in Hawaii. Uh, but we don't get that many members, and uh, so um, I you know I would encourage uh, anyone that's uh, listening to if they know of anybody that's been diagnosed or want help uh, we're here to help um so yeah um you never know where your experience might help someone else as well i think for those people who might have had the diagnosis chosen their course of treatment and are doing very well having other people learn from them that process could also be helpful Oh, absolutely, yeah. So we we do, and, and the the thing about the the treatment options today is that um, two things have happened in the last, uh, I would say, uh, five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, one is in the diagnostic area in terms of imaging. When I first got diagnosed, MRI wasn't even uh, 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 on the table. Uh, so what I got was what is back then called a random biopsy, in which case uh, the doctor is really doesn't know where the lesions, the cancer in the gland is. He's just randomly uh, trying to take samples from the prostate gland to determine if you have uh, cancer. And we've had cases where more than a few men have negative biopsies, but their their PSA is still going up. When MRI came along, it allowed uh, the urologist to see uh, suspected lesion areas and allowed them to t- to take the sample biopsies uh, more on a targeted basis, and that became a little bit more accurate. Uh, some years after that, uh, PET imaging came along, uh, and, uh, and today we have PET imaging here in Hawaii uh, just within this last year. But PET imaging... Uh, what what it can do is it can detect cancer now uh, within the body. Uh, there is a protein called uh, prostate-specific membrane antigen. And I don't want to be too technical here, but it allows uh, for a mechanism where you can detect if cancer has metastasized outside the prostate gland, uh, maybe to the spine, maybe to the bladder, maybe to the uh, uh, the lung even. 
uh, it allows uh, doctors to see where the cancer has gone. And knowing where the cancer has gone will affect and can affect decision-making on treatment options. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about PSMA testing and where is it available and is it indicated for everybody or just for folks who have some questions about whether or not their cancer might have metastasized. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm talking with Mr. Gary Kim. He is a prostate cancer survivor and a facilitator for the US2 Prostate Cancer Support Group. And September being Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, we wanted to make sure to discuss this very important topic. And we've had Mr. Gary Kim on in the past about these days pre-pandemic, so about three years ago. And in the process, you have learned a lot about what's available here in the islands. And right before the break, you were talking about a scan a PET scan, that's a positive emission tomogram, and it was a PSMA scan. Now, that's a scan that, as you mentioned, would potentially be indicated if there's a question of metastases and it doesn't show up on other scans. Or, in fact, these days, this particular PET scan can be used instead of some of those other scans. I would imagine the idea being that if you have prostate cancer that may have metastasized, you mentioned the lung is an area, then just treating it with radiation at the site of the prostate isn't really going to do anything if you have a metastasis somewhere else in your body. So you may want to move to different types of treatment because the PSMA scan shows that targeting the prostate is not going to get to all of the tumor cells. So that would be the unique population for whom this might be beneficial. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think that one of the things that the PET scan uh, can, do, can dictate or impact on decision-making is the... Uh, the, the sites and the number of lesions that are outside of the prostate gland. Uh, if there are only one or two sites where the cancer has spread to, you might elect to do uh, some type of focal therapy and hit those one or two spots with, say, uh, some form of radiation. On the other hand, if you have, if the PET scan indicates that you have multiple sites, seven, eight sites, it may not be feasible to treat all those seven or eight sites with, with, with say, radiation. At that point, you need, you need to look at maybe a systemic therapy like chemotherapy, uh, homotherapy, secondary hormotherapy. So uh, knowing uh, the extent of cancer outside of the gland is extremely important in the decision on how to, how to treat it. And that scan's available right here locally? Uh, it, yes. It got a... Pro, uh, 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 approved, and uh, it's now FDA-approved and available in Hawaii only since April of this year. It's available at two sites. Uh, one, one is a location called Insight Imaging, and it, they have been contracted with Hawaii Pacific Health, and the other one is at Queens Medical Center. The criteria for getting that PET imaging, though, is for men whose cancer has come back after primary treatment. But we've had, uh, I know of one case in our group where a member who has not had any primary treatment yet, but he has been uh, diagnosed as an advanced stage cancer patient, Gleason 8, uh, fairly aggressive, 
And so at that point, even though you have not had primary treatment, to know whether that cancer is still contained in the gland or it's in the gland and elsewhere outside will also impact on on what you want to do. Absolutely. That can help dictate whether or not you do systemic chemotherapy or targeted treatment like you had mentioned. Now, you've kept up with all the latest in what's going on with prostate cancer, not just because you've experienced it, but also because as a facilitator for this group, it's kind of inherent upon you to want to keep up with the latest. What are some of the other changes that you've seen in the last 10 years or so that you've been involved in this in this cause? And then we'll talk about where you think we're headed. I, I think the last 10 years, the two biggest things has been the, the imaging side, as I said earlier, MRI, the emergence of MRI, which allowed us to see where the cancer exists in the gland. And then when PET came along, it allowed us to see uh, where the cancer exists uh, outside of the gland. Now, those two things are not foolproof. Uh, it, it won't guarantee 100%. Uh, it, won't, it will not. Neither one of those will detect, for example, microscopic cells, uh, but it's far better than what we had. So those are the t- first two things. Uh, as far as treatment options go, we've had a recent one that has been in existence in j- places like Germany and Australia for six, seven years now, uh, it's, it's, it's a form of what I call, I refer to it as a form of liquid radiation. Um, and it is recently being approved for, for men who have had uh, some chemotherapy and uh, have metastatic castrate-resistant cancer. Castrate-resistant meaning that it is not responding to homotherapy. Uh, for those men, there is this option now available where we use PET imaging to detect the sites of the cancer, and we use the same radioisotope uh, to bring a form of liquid radiation, uh, and this uh, is, uh, is another radioisotope. It's called lutetium-177, and uh, it has it's a, it's a, it's it's a form of liquid radiation where it has it can uh, at the site of where it it can detect where the cancer cells that detect short emission bursts to kill the cancer cells uh, at those now that's a form of systemic therapy and that's far better than just treating the prostate gland but that's come along uh, we've had other other things um, mainly in the form of combination therapies where we're, we're now, you know, in many, there are many uh, clinical trials ongoing right now to, to look at uh, things like combining uh, uh, hormone therapy with chemotherapy, uh, with, with even uh, radiation uh, and, and, and chemotherapy. And so there's, there's a lot of things going on out there. Well, it sounds like everything has dramatically advanced in the last 10 years, certainly, but I, I can only imagine beyond that because the treatment of cancer has completely changed. You know, I think we used to just do types of treatment with chemotherapy, assuming that all tumors would respond similarly. 
But as time has gone on, we found that is definitely not the case. And there are individual aspects of cancer treatment that need to be personalized. And it's amazing to see the training and what the oncologists these days are aware of and how they can truly help with the identification, treatment, and discoveries on other aspects of how to treat some of these cancers, including clinical trials, et cetera. Now, I do know that the US2 Prostate Cancer Support Group has stayed strong throughout the pandemic. I think for a while you guys were virtual. If somebody <laughs> wants to go ahead and be part of that group, remind us again how they can do that. Uh, yeah, we have the website, www.hawaiiprostatecancer.org. And if you go to that site, uh, there are the links there that you can bring up a membership form. You can have, we have contact numbers for myself and Paul Mizui. Uh, so just give us a holler and we'll help you with what we can. Thank you very much, Mr. Gary Kim, for sharing with us your story, your expertise, and also all of the hard work you've done over the years to really help other men who have questions, who need an advocate, or who need to be reminded that they need to advocate for themselves. We certainly thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk more about how to stay healthy and well right here on The Body Show. See you then. Mm-hmm.